Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. How are we doing today? Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. If this is the first time you've been here, that might sound surprising to you for me to say that, but I say it every day. Matter of fact, I just came from uh, training at PTA, so I had the field stash. It's not because I saw Top Gun. But one of my soldiers asked me, he said, Chat, why do you always say Merry Christmas? And I said, well, do you know what day it is? And he goes, today's Monday. And uh, he said, and I said, yes, today is Monday. Do you realize today is the only Monday for this entire week? And he kind of looked at me like, and then, then he kind of, I, I never thought of it like that before. I guess today is a Merry Christmas day. Enjoy it. Today is the only day that we will have this week that is Sunday, and it is good to be in the fellowship of the saints, is it not? It is good to be reminded that our God is faithful and true and holy, holy, holy is he. And if you have been with us and you know that we have been doing a sermon series through the book of Jonah, and we are extending this series with a few other verses. So I will be in the book of Colossians today, Colossians chapter 4. I will be reading from the Revised Standard Version. If you have the Bible app and would like it a word for word, it's very similar to the ESV. It's not similar to the message. Sorry. Or whatever translation you may like. But Colossians chapter 4. We've been doing a series that's saying connecting with the sinner. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. I think sometimes we forget that within the church, even those who have a saving faith in Christ, I think we forget that we sin as well as believers. And that we need a constant reminder of the need to go back to the cross, to seek for for forgiveness, and importantly, seek for wisdom. I once heard a, a very wealthy man say one time that the difference between a smart and a wise person, the difference between a smart person and a wise person, I'm not saying I agree with them, but his definition of the two or comparison of the two is that a smart person knows what they want. But a wise person knows what they do not want. A smart person wants to be a a successful person. A wise person wants to have a stress-free life. A smart person wants to uh, be the, the most educated person in the room. A wise person doesn't want to look like a fool. And we could go through the differences. Again, I'm not saying that I agree with them, but that is just an example. And why do I bring up wisdom? Because I think wisdom is the pinnacle aspect of this message today. That we are called to be wise people in a foolish world. Matter of fact, if you've never been to PTA, that's on the big island, the island of Hawaii. It's actually called Hawaii, the big island. And you're so high up, it's a remarkable place, because you're so high up, 
at about 1500, three o'clock in the afternoon, the clouds, not the fog, the clouds literally roll in. And it's the only place in my life where literally my head can be in the clouds, but my feet are still on the ground. And you talk about a perspective change of smart and wise individuals is that here I am and we're out in the middle of moon dust. There's moon dust everywhere. And we're literally in the clouds and yet I can still see the peak of the mountain that's right next to us. We're going to talk about perspective today. We're going to talk about engagement. What does it mean to connect with the sinner? Connecting with you and I. And again, this is Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Please read with me. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And pray for us also, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every one. Please pray with me. Father, it is with joy that we are here. And God, we come to this place with perhaps our doubts, perhaps just pain and grief. God, we, we, we come with, with burdened hearts, perhaps weary hearts. And Lord, we, we may even come with joyous hearts, knowing that you have created this day with joy, and therefore we are already glad in it. But God, however we have come into this place, I pray that you reveal yourself in a special way this morning. That you are the God that brings light into darkness. That you are the God who has created us all new in the saving faith of your Son, Jesus Christ. And let us leave this place with a renewed understanding of your commitment, of your faithfulness, and the wisdom that only you can provide. And that if there's any doubt to who you are, and if there's any doubt to how we, the church, should be, I pray that that clarity will be had. And it is only in your son's name. Do I pray this morning? Amen. Starting in verse 1, we have a very unique calling. It says, Masters, treat yourselves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. There is a routine teaching throughout the Bible that Christians be humble. Be humble. And this is a very important lesson for Paul to address at the people in Colossae. Because Colossi were smart, wealthy, rich, very well done people. And during other teachings of Paul, Paul is very quick to remind the church, treat everybody fairly and equally because there's going to be an end of this world, an account to all of our actions. And so he gives another reminder to those who own slaves 
that's saying, remember, there is a master in heaven. Remember this. And this is a unique thing to say in regards to the second and through the sixth verse. Because we're talking about masters and slaves. And then we go into verse 2. Now look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and pray for us also that God may open to us a door for which you declare the mystery of Christ. This comes to our first point. Our first point is this. Now, I know on our bulletins we have a fill in the blank. That's for your, you know, extra points to heaven. Okay, extra points to heaven is right here. The first point is this. There is never a time when the Bible teaches us not to pray in regards to our faith and asking God for something. There's never a time, whether it is the prophet Jonah, the apostles, Jesus himself, Jesus sets a routine example of praying and praying and praying, removing himself and doing what? Praying. There's never a time where the Bible teaches us, eh, don't pray for that. You know, you got it. You've been good in the past. That's all. You need to have confidence in your own accomplishments. The Bible never teaches us to look back and say, well done, you have overcome, rely on yourself. The Bible continually says, pray without to be continued in meditation in prayer between us, whatever is the conflict, whatever is the thing, and God. Now let us look at what Paul has addressed us to pray for, starting in verse 2. Continue. Which means during Paul's time, during the time of the Colossus church, that they did this. That this was something that they had a habit of doing, or else he would not have started the verse with saying, continue. He says, continue steadfast in prayer, but for what? Pray, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So it's saying to do two things in our prayer. One, being watchful and being thankful. We are called to pray to be watchful of the world around us. Perhaps you may recall another verse in 1 Peter that says, Hey, be sober-minded, being watchful for who? For your adversary, the devil, does what? Lurks around seeking you to devour. The roaring lion seeks his prey. Now, why is this important? I think we are so busy as a church, we forget what to pray for. We pray for some sort of promotion. We pray for some sort of miracle to happen. We pray for this, that, and the other. But I tell you, it is okay to pray for miracles. It is okay to pray for big and glorious things. As a matter of fact, how quickly do we forget who we're praying to? For we do not pray from a God who is inactive with his people. 
We pray to a God who has been completely faithful for thousands of years. Matter of fact, the testimony that Jerusalem is still a state is evidence enough that our God is faithful. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you pray remembering who you pray to? That we are praying to a God who has done miracles in the past and continues to do miracles today. But importantly, it says that we should be doing this with thanksgiving. And here's a tough question. When we are asking God for something, when we are asking God to move, are we thankful Christians? Do your children as parents see the thankfulness of your testimony? Do you as a husband, does your wife see the thankfulness of your testimony? Do you as a wife, does your husband see the thankfulness of your testimony? Do you as a leader, do your soldiers see the difference between your testimony of life and everybody else's? You see, it does not say, just pray. We are given instruction of how to pray with the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. But this is saying, pray with thanksgiving. And so with the point of chapter, uh, uh, the, the, the point of the first point <laughs> is that it teaches us that we should always be in prayer into what we're asking God for. But we should be doing it with a thankful heart, being reminded of how God has already answered prayers in the past. Because I don't know about you, but God has taken my unforgiving heart and given it joy. God has given my impatient heart and given me peace. God has given my lack of humility and has given me security. God has given my lack of discipline and has given and granted me success. God has given my lack of honesty and given me confidence in the truth. And I will tell you, beloved, we as a church has to, I think, need to be humbled of being reminded of who we are praying to. And when we ask God for something, we're praying with a thankful heart. But are we also praying to be watchful, to be alert, to be mindful, to be aware? You know, there's, a, there's an army slogan that says, stay alert, stay. Stay alert, stay alive, absolutely. And the times when we do not stay alert, boom, we're caught. We're caught with something very subtle. We're caught with something that seems very, very minute. We're caught with something that we're like, well, it was really okay. It wasn't that big of a... We justify everything, don't we? So here I am. There I was at PTA, growing my field stash out. And we're doing gunnery. So my, my, my dudes are giving the safety warning. If, hey, if, the, if, the, if the range is hot, do not exit your vehicle. No matter what, do not exit your vehicle. And in the middle of the guy shooting the 50 cal, gun jams, what does the TC do? Jumps out of the vehicle, jumps on top of the Humvee, and helps the gunner try to get the gun working again. Gun gets working again, and what does the gunner start doing? 
he starts to shoot while the guy is still on top of the Humvee. And everybody is like, what are you doing? That is a safety violation. Stop! We as a church need to be praying that we'll remain watchful for those subtle things, those knee-jerk reactions. Because I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I don't know how to dance, but I know how to knee-jerk. You know, something happens, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Sergeant Major, we got to fix this problem right now. This is a grave injustice. Wait a minute, honey, how dare you do that? You never. No. This is a reminder of to be steadfast in prayer, of being watchful, of how Satan weaves his little way, of knowing your past, knowing how he tempted you in the past, and you say, I got him. Because, beloved, Satan wastes no time on the weak. We just witnessed the baptism. Brother Matthew, you're going to be tempted more now than ever before because of what you just committed in front of all of us. And those of you who declared, yes, you will help mentor and disciple and train Brother Matthew, so will you. We need to be a watchful church in prayer. We need to be steadfast in prayer. The second point is this. We, the church are called to not be ashamed of our God and what He promises. Let's look at why this is the case. Look at verse 3, And pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. God promises us to be with us in the midst of our location. See, God does not promise, hey, if you stay at the mountaintop of holiness, nothing bad is going to happen. I mean, here I am at PTA, extremely high, basically on top of a mountain beside of another mountain, and it is cold. It is so cold, I thought, I mean... Like, I felt like such a weak guy. Here it is, 50 degrees, and I'm like, I'm about to die. And it's windy. It's windy. There's moon dust everywhere. It gets up your nose. It gets into your tent. It gets everywhere. And it's, it's sunny. And everybody knows that you wear eye pro because you get this tan around the whole face. And so here we are in this, this mountain, this high place of sheer beauty, and yet it has its own trials and tribulations. You see, we have this mindset as, as long as my circumstances can change, it'll be all right. God never promises that. But what he does promise is that he will be in the midst of any circumstance of any season of our life. And what does Paul specifically pray for? He prays for the church to pray for him and his, and his uh, battle buddies that they may be able to speak clearly the mystery of Christ. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, us chaplains need your prayers. We need your prayers. Because when I'm doing these safety prayers, these words of the days, when I was in the field with my bubbas, guys, I'm in the presence of worldly authority of immense power. And if I am not covered with the prayers of God's people, it is too easy for me to reach down into my book of opinions and tell you what is good for today. You see, beloved, Paul's asking for doors to be open for the Word of God to be declared. Sisters and brothers, that is our prayer too. If we're not part of the community of where we are, we simply become bystanders of it. But that's all we are. You see, back, back in the day, when towns were built, there was a thing called the town square. And at the town square, there was a little park that people would, would come and do park-type things, right? And there were buildings there. Build, these buildings were the most important buildings of the, the community, right? And guess what one of those was? One of them was always the church. And, and what was another thing? Probably was a courthouse or some sort of like town center where the mayor was, you know, the, the, the leading people of society. But the church was always there. And see, we have bought into the law of separation of church and state, which ironically was written by who? Thomas Jefferson. Does anybody know that Thomas Jefferson, even though he penned the, for, the phrase separation of church and state, actually attended the largest church in America for that day? Does anybody know where it was meeting at? In what was then the state, the, the national capitol building, and Thomas Jefferson himself ordered and paid for the Marine Band to play worship music. So, this idea of separation of church and state, we sadly, as a church, have said, Nim, yep, yep, we don't need to be preaching about that stuff. We, as a church, have reverted away from community, away from culture, and said, well, you know, here am I to judge. Well, I don't know any better, so I guess that's the right thing to do. And the church is now nothing more than a stop sign in front of Walmart. It's present, it's there, but nobody abides to it. We as a church need to be praying for the doors to open so that we can share the gospel. But this is not a blanket gospel. This is not just good idea fairies or this and the other. It is this. Look at, look at verse 4. That I, Paul the Apostle, may speak it clearly as I ought to speak. This is not. Hey, brother, man, I'm really having a hard day. You're probably going to hell. You're, you're, that's probably your, your, your problem. 
There needs to be a great amount of wisdom in regards to the mystery of Christ that Paul is referring to. And to really understand this, we have to go to verse uh, to, to our point three. And this is starting in verse five. Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every one. Now, my father was in the army for 30 years. He was an airborne ranger, Hua. Did a lot of great things. He retired on Fort Monroe, Virginia. We moved to Smithfield, Virginia. Has anybody had a Smithfield ham before? I'm sure people have. About three-fourths of all ham in America comes from Smithfield. In Smithfield, parts of Smithfield, there's so much ham you can literally smell, depending on how the wind goes, where the pigs are. It's a great and glorious smell. Said no one ever. But I got a tour of an old school ham uh, barn where they would cure ham. Okay? And you walk in, and it was a very, very simple building. You walk in, and there were hunks of ham hanging from the rafters. And I was a young kid, and as I'm walking into this building, and I could just, you just smell ham. Now, that, that might make people feel sick or whatever, but I'm in there, and there's just ham all over the place. Ham. It was beautiful. Because when I am in this place, and I'm seeing all this ham, you could literally hear the joyous applause of bacon being made. And bacon is so good, it literally claps for itself when you are frying it. <laughs> and you're in this thing, and they bring it down, and they showed us different stages of the curing process. And depending on how you make it, I mean, Smithfield ham is so doggone salty, it literally tells you, step one, clean your bathroom. Step two, flood your bathroom. Step three, put the ham in the bathtub and let it just soak. They use so much salt for these bad boys. But they showed us the different stages of the curing process. They showed us, they showed us the end result, okay? And the end result is this beautiful, just, just this beautiful piece of ham. And it was like, man, I just ate lunch, but I'm hungry for this right now. And you could just tell that it's going to be. Have you ever just like looked at food and you just knew? It was going to be delicious. Like, let's just thank God for taste buds, right? Because life was so boring without them. Then the second stage was the, the, the piece of the ham with the salt on top of it. And I'm talking about, like, layers of salt on this bad boy. And they were just, like, literally, it's not like sprinkling. Like, it was like, bam, bam, bam. And it's just smacking this ham, rubbing the thing. I'm like, could not, the thing is dead. And then the third part, the first part said, this is what happens after a couple weeks. And there's all this mold and stuff growing on top of the ham. And you look at it and be like, oh my God, that is the most nastiest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. What is wrong? No matter what, no wonder why people died really young back then. It's like there's mold on top of their food. Like, don't you know that this is bad? And they were like, now watch what we do. Watch what we do. They would take this ham that is ugly, atrocious looking, like some of our buildings here on post, and they would take it, and they would take it, and they would put the hose on it, 
and with a dull blade, and it had to be a dull knife, they would wash it off, and you just started to see some of this mold started to do this, and they would take this knife, and it would just scrape right off. It was gone. And then you saw this beautiful piece of ham. And as soon as the outer layer, the superficial level of mold, was rinsed off, washed off, then you see this beautiful piece, and what do they do? Bam! Start smacking the heck out of it again with some salt. And then what do they do? They raise it up again. And they would do this about three or four times, and then bam, the ham was cured. But this is what they said. If we do not rinse it off, the salt either does two things. If we don't smack it in enough, the mold gets into the meat and spoils the whole thing. Spoils it all. If we don't use enough, if we don't, bam, overlay it enough, this, this prized, who's the pig on Charlotte's Web? Whoever that is. Wilbur, this prized Wilbur is now trash. You cannot redeem this thing. But then the second thing is, in time, the salt is going to lose its saltiness and it just becomes worthless and so we have to scrape the whole thing off. You see, beloved, what does it say here in verse 6? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with what? Salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer every one. Here's our third point. Paul calls us to be wise believers. This wisdom is what preserves life. This wisdom is what preserves life. You see, brothers and sisters, I think there's a growing trend within the Christian church to remove, remove, remove. It's like we're living in little holy huddles. We're living in holy huddles that if you don't look this way, if you don't sound a certain way, I'm going to ostracize you because obviously, how could Christ have redeemed you? Nope, no. You have to be away from me, set apart, right? And we've taken that so seriously that we have forgotten the fact that the wisdom of God, if it's not ingrained in, into society, society literally falls apart. Look at the world that we are living in today. I will never forget the time when I was a youth pastor and I'm talking to this guy who came from a, a you know mature family of believers and, he, and we're having lunch together and he was this little dude and he goes, you know Matt, Mr. Matt, and he goes, I really want to honor God, but I don't, I really don't want to be a pastor. I'm like, well, okay. I, I, I want to do other things. Okay. But, but you don't want to be a pastor. And he goes, okay. And uh, I said, well, why do you think that that's the only way that you can honor God? He goes, well, doesn't that what the Bible teach? I said, absolutely not. He says, whatever you do. Do for the glory of God. You see, the fact that if we as Christians do not become teachers, businessmen, politicians, leaders in the military, leaders in the economy, wise people, the people seek for counsel, the whole of society goes away. 
And the other reality is that if we as Christians say, well, I don't really have to go to church. I don't really have to do this. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. We lose the saltiness. It's the wisdom of God that is what preserves, preserves the world that we're living in. It says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. There's no conditional statement if by chance you ran into somebody that lo and behold did not believe in Christ. It says you should be conducting yourselves wisely amongst unbelievers because you are in their midst. Now, I'm a firm believer in this. Dana and I, we are a firm believer that your strongest friends, your, your, your closest of friends, need to be the same people that you worship with. But the last thing I ever want to do is live in a holy huddle where the only people that are around me look like me, sound like me, praise the same way, this, that, and the other. Because what good is it for me to be a redeemed man of God being sheltered inside the church? I'm going to say something that might grab people the wrong way. Sorry, but not really. Hey, look, your kids are in, your kids are homeschooled. Your kids are part of a Christian school. That's awesome. That's great. But where are your kids in the society that God has blessed them to be in? You, as a person, want something very, very specific. Hey, that, that's, that, that's wonderful. But then where you as a parent, as a couple, engaged in a, in a, so that the testimony of your marriage can positively influence somebody else. We as a church can do nothing but in church things all we want to, and we will eventually grow dead. But if we look on the outside and are constantly engaged with community, conducting ourselves, yes, people are going to ask us questions. But that's the wisdom that we seek out for. That is why we have small groups as a chapel. That is why we do things like Awanas. That is why we do things like simple outreach ministries, like feeding new soldiers that are far away from home. That's why we as a church not only pray for you, but pray for people who we don't know. It's because we are supposed to be in the world. And not of it. That's what we pray that we are watchful for. Who is influencing whom? But I'll tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be with the sinner. Because guess who I am? I'm a sinner too. And I need to be with people who are going to be pouring into my life. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, it is easy to be isolated in this world. There is not a doubt in my mind that there's not somebody in this congregation that you are amongst people, but you feel extremely alone. And I'll tell you, God is the God who's the answer for your loneliness. But if we are not intentional with our relationships with believers and intentional with the lives of the unbeliever as well. We're missing the whole point of salvation. Now, how do you know? How do you know how to engage people? How do you know how to witness? How do you know how to do all these things? 
That's what Paul is asking for. Prayer. Because indeed, Christ is a mystery. It confounds the proud. It makes no logic sense. Matter of fact, the very first questions I and I do this thing, you know, I walk into the barracks and I'm, you know, I'm talking with the soldiers I know, and because the relationship has been built, and I say, man, you know, and, and it always happens in the field. I'm like, hey, chap, can I just ask you a question? And I'm like, Whoa. you know, start getting loose and stuff. You know, then I start, oh dear Jesus, better come down here quick because. And then they asked me a question like, doesn't the Bible contradict itself? And my first knee-jack reaction is, no. You're an idiot. But then I think, that was my question too. And I said, hey man, give me an example of what you thought was a contradiction. And then the conversation goes. What does Paul ask for? He prays for certain things. He prays that doors may be open. And that he may be able to speak clearly as he ought to speak. I want to give you another verse in closing. If you want to write this down, it is Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. This is Paul again writing to the church of Ephesus. And to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now listen. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now may be made known to all the earth and to even the heavenly places. The method of salvation was Jesus on the cross. But the method of understanding that mystery is the church being this right here, a body of believers. But as my father taught me at a very young age, the true definition of the church is the two middle letters that form the word. You are. The wisdom of God is made manifest through your testimony. And the wisdom that we seek is only from God himself to make sense of it. Because we live in a foolish world. We live in a fallen world. And how do you and your kids, you and your spouse, you as a single soldier do that? That's what you pray for. That's what you pray for. Please pray with me. God, again, we come to you knowing that you are a good God. That your word continually teaches us the great need to pray. The great need to ask and to have the faith that you can answer all of our questions. But Lord, we are called to be your church. Not ashamed of who you are. Not ashamed of what you promise us. But to have a humbled boldness and courage and the world that we're living in. And God, you have called us to be wise believers. And it is that wisdom that preserves life.
Oh God, I pray that you move within this congregation that these families before me are blessed with the desire to grow in that wisdom, to, to desire to grow in that word. And Lord, if there's anyone here who may not know you, who may think that this word is still foolishness, confusion, God, I still pray for clarity. And I pray that you will make clear the truth of your gospel. And it is only in your son's name do we pray. Amen.